Welcome to the Brew Crew Review Podcast, the show by fans or fans of your Milwaukee Brewers. All right, Brewer fans, welcome to Brew Crew Review Podcast. Joining you tonight is myself, Craig, yours truly, and Scott. How are you doing, Scott? Doing good. How about you? All right. Um, Vince and Chad, uh, are they together somewhere? Neither of them are here, I know. I think they were scouting for us in uh, Sudan. So, <laughs> you know, we, we really comb, you know, every uh, nook and cranny on this big blue marble to try to find some you know, great new young players, and uh, you know, sometimes you got to go to Sudan, I guess. Hmm. Scouting interns, I suppose. All right. Well, yep. uh, let's see. Do you remember what you predicted? What what the Brewers would do in the past week, Scott? Um, I think I said four and two, and I think that's what they were. Yeah, I think. I think I also picked that right. Four and two. Was Probably. it? Makes sense. He said five and one, or no, Vince is a pretty pessimist. I think he picked three and three or something. Whatever. So I mean, obviously, it was a little homestand here for the Brewers, and uh, they took two of three from both the Braves and two of three from the Nationals. So overall, I guess successful week. But uh, we'll talk about the the road trip coming up here, which is going to be. 11 games and in, in 11 days against some pretty tough opponents. Uh, the Cardinals, Cubs, and the Padres are all coming up before the Brewers are home once again, so that's a little road trip. Coming. So we'll, we'll talk about that, um, including a makeup doubleheader against the Cubs on Memorial Day, so that should be interesting at Wrigley. Wrigley. That's uh, makeup from the first uh, rain out of the year uh, for the first weekend. So that's all coming up. We'll talk about our predictions for that later on. But uh, let's talk about, I guess, the most pressing news. Uh, we're taping this on Sunday night, uh, May 22nd, I believe. Uh, and Ray Peralta, who I actually got to see pitch in person on um, Monday, his previous start against the Braves, and he pitched brilliantly. I think he had seven innings pitched. 10 strikeouts and no walks, I believe. Anyway, pretty phenomenal stuff from him. And uh, unfortunately, today he had to leave after the fourth thing, I believe, with some shoulder issue. Um, and I, and I, I think it's the Brewers are officially putting him in the IL after the game today. So he's going to miss at least one start, most likely a couple of starts. And hopefully it's nothing long-term serious. I'm sure Aaron Ashby is slated to fill his spot in the rotation. I'm venture to guess um what are your thoughts on Peralta's brilliant outing against the Braves and unfortunately him leaving the game early in his potential eye um you know potential injury I guess Scott well any any injury is going to be disappointing obviously um but to lose um to lose one of our great pitchers for any amount of time is definitely a, a little bit of a blow uh, the good news is that there's still a very, very legitimate chance that this is not going to be something 
really, really major, which so many times in Brewer history, we would hear something like that. And, um, you know, obviously we don't know, we're not prognosticators. Um, in fact, uh, well, I do have an anonymous source. I'll just call him TC. Um, I guess oh. I could call him T Carter, but, um, he, uh, he said that he thinks that, uh, Peralta will be back in a couple of weeks. So, um, let's, let's hope that that's it. Now, obviously, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't even gotten an MRI yet. So, um, you know, he's just kind of guessing, but you know, he, he's, he's usually right more often than not. So I'm going to take his opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm hoping it's, this is all a little bit precautionary. Obviously it's somewhat still early in the season and, you know, uh, we've got to preserve, I mean, mess a starter too. It kind of cuts down his overall innings. Um, you know, but you know, this could pretend to something more serious. You just never know. And hopefully with Freddie, it turns out to be that it'll be a short term, short time off and I'll be back helping the team sooner rather than later. So let's just hope for the best. Unfortunately it comes with, you know, Next weekend we'll be in St. Louis uh, for four games, so it would have been nice to have them available. But I'm sure the other guys will pick up the slack, and um, you know, guys are continuing their breakout-ish season. Like Eric Lauer has pitched pretty well again this week. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too concerned, I guess. But it is disheartening news, you know, coming coming into this Sunday night, and then. Willie Adamas actually is still on the IL. Um, in fact, I think last time we taped here, he had just been injured, but they were debating, the birds were debating whether or not to put him on the IL or not. I think after a day or two, he was kind of listed as day to day. It looked like he wasn't ready to go yet. So he did go on the 10 day deal. And I think from everything I've heard, he should be able to come off when that 10 days is over. So he should be back this week. Um, that kind of segues into the other segment I wanted to talk about. One of the highlights of this week, actually, um, in the homestand was, uh, of course, our Wednesday game where we spotted Burns against Max Freed afternoon game at, at Amfam Field. Uh, I was looking forward to, you know, getting to checking on that one. Unfortunately, Burns spotted them a 4 nothing lead. And with the run support that we've our team has given Burns in the recent memory, thought that one was all but over um however the brewers chipped away um at their bullpen and uh they took it in the extra innings and uh, of course with the ghost runner in second the extra innings uh there was a lot of scoring going on the brewers i actually had read this the first time in brewers history that they came back being down going into both the ninth inning the 10th inning and the 11th inning they came back and they end up winning the game on a walk-off two run homer by Keston Hira so that was a pretty exciting moment of the week and uh really cool to see Keston Hira who had just been recalled from AAA Nashville now he was down in Nashville for only I think a, about a week or so uh, I think it was like 10 games or something like that and he actually had five home runs in 10 games for Nashville before we called them back up. So that was kind of a well-deserved call up, but I think the injury to Adamas and him actually going on the, on the IL finally early in the week was what caused us to bring up Keston. So it kind of was a blessing in the sky that turned out um, with that being said, also to this week, Andrew McCutcheon came back off the COVID IL and he is now back at DH mostly. And so 
I just wonder what your overall thoughts are on Keston Hira, where where he's ten, where he's trending, where he's he's going, and whether or not what role will he fill for this team going forward, in your opinion? Um, unfortunately, there, so let me put it this way: there's a lot of players on our team that can fill a lot of different holes because they can play a lot of different positions. Keston Hira is not one of them. So we're talking about a guy who, you know, can play second and, you know, first. That's about it. And obviously now DH, DH, I hate to say it, but, um, you know, if it wasn't for the DH, I don't know how much playing time Keston would have at all. Um, it's just kind of the way it is right now. But um, having said that, I think as long as we're going to have him up here, I think he's obviously going to play a little bit, but – um, uh, even with the, you know, the Adamus injury, like I just did not see him as being an everyday player right now, especially with Urias coming back when he did. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation, I guess, because I want the guy to get regular at bats when he gets regular at bats, he, you know, he seems to play a little better, but, um, then he goes and stretches where he, you just can't put him out there every day. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so if we look at Cashin Hira, even coming up as a prospect, I mean, we draft him as second baseman. Um, there was questions right out, like even before we drafted him, like that this guy is most likely possibly going to be a DH at some point of his major league career. And even second baseman, his, his defense was poor there. And then, of course, there was a talk moving him to first base when the opening was there. But with Rowdy Telez, I think solidifying everyday spot, even as a left-hander, um, as a first baseman, I mean, obviously he's, he's um, garnered that with his play so far this year. That kind of takes away first base in the option for, for Keston. And then you look at the D.H. McCutcheon, I mean, he can play the outfield sometimes, but mostly, most likely he's going to be penciled in every day at the D.H. spot. So those are two of the main spots. Kesson would have been able to take. Now, obviously, you're mentioning he can play second base too. Well, guess what, folks? Colton Wong is there. And even though he's also left-handed, I mean, you really so I mean, he, he's he pretty much is an everyday player too, against both righties and lefties. So what you're looking at is if Kesson stays at the major league level, like where can you really even play him? I mean. I think that he would find sporadic at bats only against left-handers most likely. And then obviously having like a power bat off the bench is always something nice, but it almost feel like that's, you know, stagnant his development somewhat, uh, somewhat a little bit. Uh, Cause it, you, you think he needs everyday at bats kind of get back on track after his last two seasons. So it's tough. And that's what you see him go down in Asheville and just completely rake against that level of pitching. And you're like, Oh, you know, you want that offense back in your lineup. So unfortunately, because of his lack of versatility, and I think that they've experimented with him in the outfield, but again, it'd only be a corner outfield spot. And we got plenty of those also currently with the team. So, I mean, I don't think he's even trusted out there defensively to be quite honest. So yeah, there's really, unfortunately because of his lack of versatility, and his his bat, which I'd say I don't have faith in his hitting right now, but I have a lot of hope that he will still become a borderline all-star with the bat 
is what I had assumed that he had the potential to become. But with that being said, I mean, it just doesn't seem like he has a really solid role on this team going forward. So I think that he really will be that spot starter if he stays at the big club or he'll just be a power bat off the bench, which is, you know, a good thing to have for a contending team like the Brewers. But I I still think that'll be tough on Keston to not get very much playing time, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for him because, I mean, now, don't get me wrong. He has obviously scuffled, you know, the last year or two, but um, he's kind of, there's not a lot that he has left to prove, at, you know, at the AAA level. And so, I mean, the only reason why you want him down there at this point is, um, you know, just to get him regular at bats. But I don't know. I mean, it's weird because Keston is – is one of the few players that really kind of goes against the whole like Stern's outlook of, you know, just player versatility and being able to play anywhere on the diamond. And you can see here, like it really hurts. Like he, he doesn't have the ability to be able to play in those different spots. And that's unfortunately that keeps him off the field. And what's very really strange about that is um, it's the current Stern's regime regime. I'll call it kind of mo to really value versatility um in players um and so Keston is kind of that square peg and in a round hole so to speak on this particular organization and this setup so um with that being said i I think that he he seems like the team his teammates want him here and that there is some thunder in the bat so to speak but it is frustrating in key spots though. If he's coming off the bench as a pinch hitter, he's usually going to be in a key spot. And it's like, as a Brewer fan that you still don't have a whole lot of confidence in that <laughs> because of the holes that Tona swings and his, especially as, you know, if he's going to bring in come out the bench, he's probably going to have like runners in scoring position or something like that. Most likely. And like with his strike, well, he's been striking out. It's just really frustrating, but if he gets a hold of one, you know, good things can happen. We saw that this week. So, I don't know. We'll probably talk about this as we get closer to trade deadline, but I mean, he almost does seem to me like a change of scenery candidate, so to speak, because he just doesn't seem like he's got a role going forward with this team. I mean, obviously maybe if Wong's tenure here comes to an end at some point, maybe Cashin would take back over as an everyday second baseman, but I think Rowdy will have control over for a while and, you know, obviously we'd find a role for anyone who hits, but he's got to do that. So we'll see. So, I mean, I would hate to call him a chain of scenery candidate and, and just include him in a, in a major trade at, at his current value, I guess, because I, I would just see that the coming back to, to the Brewers regret that at some point. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully he becomes that all-star level still as a Milwaukee Brewer at some point. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it, I I understand. Like, I mean, I, I think it's got to be a little bit frustrating. But, I mean, and when when I think of change of scenery candidate, I always think of, like, um, well, like, um, to pull a Brewer reference, like a Gary Sheffield who um, didn't have a great attitude, didn't have great work ethic. And then, like, he just kind of sort of quit on the team to get traded, and he got traded. And then he you know, turn into, you know, 
nearly triple crown worthy candidate. Like he was really good. And uh, I, I don't think that that's going to happen with Keston here. I don't think I would say that would happen with anyone because the odds are so bad, but um, it's kind of more like, you know, the Willie Adamas trade last year, like he, he was playing, he was struggling a little bit and they had other people that uh, were playing better. So he became, I don't want to say disposable, but he became more valuable as a trade chip than anything else. And uh, unfortunately that, that might be the route that Keston Hero winds up going, but who knows? I mean, what a great thing to have, like to have enough staff that um, we can't get a guy like Keston Hero on the field. Like that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And of course we should mention the Brewers still have a three game lead in, in the NL central as the, at the, and so this podcast, and this is a big, big week coming up for the Brewers, as I know that they have to play three games against the Padres and four games against the Cardinals coming up. Um, all on the road. So this will be a pretty big week to kind of see where the Brewers stand. Um, before we talk about that, let's talk about Josh Hader is continuing his dominant season, still has yet to allow a run, a 0.00 ERA. He has saved all 15 save chances, which uh, is, a, is a major league record at this point um, to start the season. So, I mean, is he... Oh, we're in suspense. Is he what? Okay. Is he the best Scott, guy? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for covering the dead air, my four-year-old. <laughs> Four year old started playing my iPhone. And uh, oh, nice. Just let him play with the iPhone. You can't break those things, right? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, so, anyway, Josh Hader, um, I mean, how valuable is, is he the most valuable player on our team? For 2022. Uh, I don't know. I, I personally would rather have, I, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd say that Corbin Burns is probably more valuable, but again, I, I always look at it where I just see, I just see Josh Hader being so dominant and I see a lot of, a lot of opportunities that we don't necessarily use him. And I get it that it's a long season and we're really in the, make sure that he doesn't pitch, you know, overexert himself and make sure he comes in in the perfect situation and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I thought three years ago we were over this where we didn't have the whole traditional closer thing. And I thought it, I thought he was much more valuable then. Obviously he's very valuable now. Anytime that you do your job as well as Josh Hader does, you're going to be extremely valuable. But I mean, I don't know. I just think like 50 innings a year, you know, 50, 60 innings a year. Like I, I just wish we'd be getting a little bit more out of him, but maybe we're being treating him a little bit more gingerly and um, making sure he stays healthy because, you know, we don't, we don't have him that much longer. We only had him signed through the end of next year. So we'll see how that goes. I'm surprised that we haven't talked. Like we haven't had any, talks about extending him or anything like that yet at least that i've heard 
Um, I don't think P. Carter has heard anything either. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I honestly think that not only is he the best closer in baseball right now, he's possibly one of the most dominant closers of all time. And, and the reason that's kind of sparked me bringing him up as part of this discussion um, is I was actually listening to some Brewer talk radio here locally. I don't remember the station or whatever, but they, someone threw out, you know, they, they were like, let's rank the best Brewer closers of all time. And the, the ranking they threw out there was Dan Plesak, number one, Raleigh Flingfingers, number two, and Josh Hader, number three. Just what are your thoughts on that ranking, Scott? Um, I think already I would put Josh Hader at number one, but I would put Raleigh Fingers at number two because um, he, Raleigh Fingers was always – like I think – I don't know if he still does, but um, at one point I think he led the league in like career most um, – like most multi-inning saves. And to be able to, you know, even just, you know, get through the seventh, throw Raleigh fingers out there for two innings, like, um, that's extremely valuable. So, um, yeah, I, I could see, I, I don't know, I guess I could see how people throw those names out there. I mean, obviously Raleigh fingers is a hall of famer and I just ranked Josh Hader ahead of him. So <laughs> I don't know, but that's the way I'd rank him. And that and that's hater fingers and then Plesek. Yep. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. That's why when I heard the ranking, I was like, Whoosh. "What the?" I mean, and obviously, if it's going on pure numbers, was Dan Plesek still the, the Brewers' all-time saves leader with 130 days? But I mean, you're not really looking at the. And I get the Raleigh fingers possibly being ranked ahead of him just because. Raleigh Fingers, as a member of the 1981 Milwaukee Brewers, was actually named not only the Cy Young Award winner, the MVP of the NL. I'm sorry, of the AL at the time. I apologize. Yeah, the AL, the Brewers were back in. So, I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous honor for a closer at the time. And he also was led the major leagues as all-time saves leader for a better stretch of the 80s and 90s before he got sur surpassed. But I think the current leader is still uh, Trevor Hoffman. But... Yeah, so I mean, saves were not as big of a thing back then, but I mean, those are some pretty big names, I guess, in the system. I would definitely rank Plesak third, even though he was awesome uh, as time with, with with the Brewers in the 80s. But I mean, yeah, Josh Hader is, I mean, I can't name that many dominant closers that rank ahead of Josh Hader, when you're, and again, he hasn't, he's not old enough to put up the numbers and the longevity of some of these guys or whatever, like Hoffman, but just from the sheer dominance standpoint, like, I don't think that, that these guys struck the fear of other teams. Cause when and you're playing the Milwaukee Brewers and you get to like the seventh inning and you're down a couple of runs, I think it's very demoralizing to know that Josh Hader is waiting there at the back of the bullpen. Cause if you know, you get to him, you're in deep, deep trouble. And, and uh, I think that Brewer fans don't see that on the flip side of that. But I think they're very – obviously, they're very confident when Hater comes out as fans. But 
I mean, it's really intimidating presence to have out there in the, in the bullpen when you're playing our team. And it can, you know, I, I really think it has a, a major effect on other teams. And I really think he, I would say, I, I agree with you that Burns coming off an NL Cy Young Award um, is probably our most valuable player going into this season. But I mean, Josh Hader has got to be right up there um, with, with, with his presence at the back of the bullpen. And I know that we had talked about possibility of trading him and, you know, getting a haul of young players for him. But at this point as contenders, I think we're, we're going to hold on to him this year and all of next year and, and hope for the best. And if, if like you mentioned extension, that'd be great. But I think, I think he's going to cost, I think he's going to get have a nice payday for his, for, for his next contract. So we yeah, I can't even imagine. And not only that, but like, I, I really don't know. I mean, even if he is the best and most dominant believer in, you know, in this era, even if you wanted to say that, like, is this something where the Brewers can think upwards of 20 million a year and, uh, you know, uh, a closer? I mean, usually that's not something that we can do. So that's the part I, I guess I'm most worried about. And as, as important as it would be to, for him to, you know, obviously to get another year out of him, like obviously the rest of this year and then all of next year, that'd be extremely important. But at the same time, like, I just hate the idea of when you are a smaller market and you have a player that dominant and you just let him go for not very much, like, <laughs> like just a comp pick, you know, that's, that's the part that is really going to bug me, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's always dangled out there. Like, um, Oh, let's see what people are going to offer for, you know, for Josh Hader. And I, apparently he's never been traded. And it always seems like um, people aren't offering what he's worth. And so, you know, if that's the case, great, you know, problem solved. We'll keep him. Exactly. And, like you said, like, I guess I've just always, it's been a foregone conclusion to me that Brewers would not probably as a small market team be able to, or even be willing to extend him at the price he's going to cost just because, especially now that I think Devin Williams is probably his heir apparent. That's actually arbitration eligible through 2025 um, for two seasons beyond haters. So I think that the Brewers would be completely comfortable going, you know, next two seasons with Hater their closer with Devin Williams the next two seasons after that. And then beyond that, they'll figure it out. But um, yeah, it would be great to keep them. But uh, that's why I really think, and we've talked about this before, that trying to really hit up on the contending window, we still have a lot of these guys under team control because as a small market team, the quality of the team that we have right now, we, we just will not be able to afford beyond the next couple of seasons. So I think, that the 2022 and 2023 season huge go for it seasons for the Milwaukee Brewers and uh it'll be exciting time to be a fan and that's why oh, we, we appreciate our listeners tuning in but uh yeah the Brewers have been first place for it made the playoffs four consecutive years they won the division last year and are looking like they're the best team in the division this year so it's a good time to be a Milwaukee Brewer fan and we really need to go deep in the playoffs this year and I think we're built to do that so what we shall see Yeah, that is definitely true. I mean, although we were built to go deep last year, too. Unfortunately, you know, the playoffs can be a cruel mistress. 
Exactly. Well, again, you just want as many opportunities as you can. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the Brewers really, we'll, we'll see. I think that they'll put the team in place to really be able to be there to make a serious run again this year. So, all right. So let's just talk about this next upcoming week in our predictions, Scott. So we travel to San Diego tonight and we have three games set against the Padres. Um, unfortunately, I think the, the three pitchers we're going to have to face are Nick Martinez, Blake Snell, and you Darvish in the next three games. And then, and then we have a four-game series in St. Louis Thursday through Sunday before Memorial Day. So seven games this week. What, what are your predictions? Well, um, this is going to sound bad. I'm actually going to predict us to go five and six. I know it sounds a little negative, but... Scott, there's like um, seven games. Just, seven, seven games. What? You said five. I thought we were doing 11 games. I thought we were going to do the whole thing. Oh, sorry. No. So just, 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 oh, just, just take the Cubs out of it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stand by my prediction of five and six in seven games. Um, <laughs> no, I'll say, um, let's see then. Okay. Three and four. Okay. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we pull off a split with the uh, Cardinals and then lose two or three when we head out West. Seems to happen. I mean, obviously, being in the Midwest, we don't have to travel from one coast to the other, which is kind of a, you know, a, a big benefit to us. But um, how many times have we seen us go out west and just get throttled? You know, by even by teams like um, like inferior Padres teams. Like, I just picture our offense at Petco, and I I just see Cheerios. <laughs> zero, 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 zero. Like, I hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, obviously the offense has warmed up um, considerably since the first month of the year, but um, at the same time, uh, Petco is a tough place to to hit. And um, you know, on the road, West Coast Padres are actually good. Could be trouble. But yeah, that's what I'll say. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go three and four also um I, like i know back in like the 90s and 2000s that the brewers every time they had like a even the 80s i guess they had a west coast swing of like a 10 game west coast swing they would always do very very poorly i think that that trend, <laughs> that trend has really changed over the last couple of years um and if I remember correctly, and I, I, you'll have to maybe have your interns look this up quick, Scott, but I'm pretty sure the Brewers went into San Diego and swept the series last year. And I think the Padres were just like, they were, it was sometime around the same time last year. And, and the Padres were like thinking that they were going to really be a, a team that was a player in that NL West that included the Dod, the 100 plus, eventually 100 plus winning Dodgers and uh, Giants. And I think that the Brewers came right in and swept them right away. And I, I think that's when they really started to realize that maybe they weren't quite as good as they were hoping. But, uh, and the flip side of that, the Brewers were a really good team that came in there. So, again, with our pitching, um, I think that we're, yeah, I almost feel like that with our pitching, it's, it almost feels like we're like losing streak proof, if that makes any sense. Like, I really don't see us like going on some kind of, seven game losing 
plus a game losing streak, which I know teams have had ability in the, in the past. I really think that we're really built to succeed. So I'm not too worried about, and again, I just don't like playing the Cardinals ever home or away, but um, I, I feel that, you know, I, I want to win that series. I mean, more than anything, I don't, that, that's our, if, if the only three victories this week that I'm predicting come just against the Cardinals, that'd be wonderful. So we shall see. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we'll both go with three and four, but hopefully we're we're less than that. Uh, they can exceed our. No, the uh, the April um, three game series against the Padres that you talked about. That was like one of the first series where we started to think, well, this team might be really good. Like this pitching staff is really starting to figure it out. Um, we only gave up three runs in that series, I think. Um, well, I don't think. I mean, I just looked it up. So I wouldn't have been able to recall that. I don't even know what color shirt I have on right now. But I know I am wearing a shirt. So It's good. Um, yeah. You know. I think I'm wearing but, pants. No, that was <laughs> – No, but that was a great, um, a great series for the Brewers last year. I certainly hope that they're able to do the same this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If well, we give up three runs in three games, there's a legitimate chance that we might win one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it does seem like our bats are starting to heat up with the weather across the country or whatever. So um, usually the warmer weather brings a little bit better hitting, and and so hopefully the Brewers can you know can start to string some some runs together. And and even though they seem to really underperform on a game by game basis we have had some offensive explosions here that put us in the top i think it's on the top 10 and runs scored yeah so overall hopefully we can still eke it out and again it's okay if we only score five runs if we're only giving up three runs because of our awesome bullpen there's not too many worries on that on that front so yeah that's true so uh, unfortunately i'm not going to be heading to any games this week and Vince and Chad are in Sudan, and I know you're you're in Henderson, Nevada. So unfortunately, we'll have to uh, we'll have to tune in to the Brewers uh, on the on the radio or television, and taking some nice games here as we go into Memorial Day weekend. So, all right. Oh yeah, this is another blackout series for me. Then. Oh boy. Pretty much, uh, yeah. I think I still have like six teams that are blackout games in Nevada. Because Nevada, despite not having a baseball team, is apparently in six different MLB markets. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. MLB, dumb. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, sounds good. Well, you guys, you stay classy, um, <laughs> stay classy, West Dallas, and go Brewers. Go Brewers. Dude.